stupid cancer show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Annie Goodman and Matthew Zach. Monday, July 22nd, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary. I am a 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And my name is Annie Goodman, journalist, young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so got cancer under 40 sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. On tonight's show, we're going to look into cancer and the media. Cancer is so prevalent in the everyday news cycle. Do we grow immune? How has the media helped to shape the cancer narrative, and what role does industry, journalists, and the everyday survivor play in being a voice for change? Join us to welcome Allison Arden, publisher of Ad Age and author of The Book of Doing, and Survivor Adam Bear, writer, humorous musician, for a conversation around this very issue. And in our Survivor Spotlight is Matt Klein with Elite Marketing Group. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, a nonprofit organization that empowers young adults affected by cancer online at stupidcancer.org. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here tonight on the Stupid Cancer Show, which will come to you live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in New York City. Hello, Annie. Hi, Matt. Hello, Kenny. Hello, sir. Hello, Maureen. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. How are you guys doing? Fab. Well, right. it's good to have Annie back. Yay. Welcome back, Annie. Thank you. It's a cute welcome back, Cotter. And- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Annie, there's a lot of words in your in your part last week, so I had a lot of reading to do. Oh. <laughs> Kenny doesn't like that whole using his mouth to talk thing I'm glad that on paper. I- He's a more of an ad lib instead of a script person. I, yes, I definitely feel you. more of a, yeah. Exactly. I non, feel you. Yeah, I was on a little family vacay in Michigan where my oldest brother and his family live. They work in the uh, auto industry, and I was there for Detroit when it went bankrupt, but that's not So it was your fault? Yeah, it was. I spent everything. <laughs> but, um, Did you buy a house for a dollar? You know, it's actually really funny. When I was leaving work early to catch my flight on Friday, one of my coworkers was like, are you going to Detroit? Buy a house. Buy three. <laughs> <laughs> you could never actually live there. No, my brother lives in a nice part. It's, you know, Michigan gets a bad rap because of Detroit, but 
had a good time and back in the city and it's nice and soupy and it's a little humid. disgusting yeah yeah but i did miss the 178 degree weather last week so it was so bad it was literally it was 102 without the humidity index in coney island it was yeah. 109 i had to drink twice as much <laughs> <laughs> And Maureen, you had a bit of another uh, escapade this weekend. I always have escapades. You had a good escapade. You went to the Statue of Liberty. Yes, we did go to the Statue of Liberty, which is a very touristy thing to do, but sometimes that just happens. Um, Also saw a great documentary film, discovered a Bloody Mary bar that Kenny would be very jealous of. (laughs) I already am. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah. Did a lot of dancing. So you, we're doing this. We mentioned this on the show. We have a spokesperson, Lauren Scott, aka mm-hmm. Lola, who is uh, currently is she in hospice care? I I don't know exactly what her. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we're doing a what's it called? Flat Lola. Yeah. So yeah. So Lola made a bucket list of all these things that she wanted to do, um, and she had a trip planned to New York City last week, and she wasn't able to come because she wasn't feeling well. Um, and so we decided to create what's Flat Lola, which is similar to Flat Stanley. So we just kind of cut out a photo of her, and we're taking pictures of her all over the yeah. place. Hence why I was at the Statue of Liberty. It's not something that New Yorkers just up and do on Saturday morning. <laughs> right. Um, but, but, yeah, so we were there. We did Top of the Rock. Uh, some people did the New Year's Ball in Times Square. Right. So, yeah, she's been popping up all over. Yeah. Um, as well as in Orlando and various parts of the country. And I'll announce here on the air tonight, I'm going to see her. Oh, yeah. I'm flying out to Sacramento to spend one day with them. Mm-hmm. They're moving from Reno to Sacramento. I'll be there for a day. So I don't need flat Lola. I will see three-dimensional Lola. Wow. Yeah. And I've heard she's, you know, and for people who aren't familiar, she's 16 years old. Mm-hmm. She just turned 16, yeah. Yeah. But so. yet she came to OMG 2012 and she was 14. Which and she awesome. fit right in. Which yeah. is amazing to mm-hmm. be able to have the kind of like that, the spread with in the bell some, curve. With some spread. exception, yeah. some exception. Yeah, of course. Of it's course. a camaraderie of having had cancer. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was referring to the underage portion. That's okay. We 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 have a limited liability waivers. Right, right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we are indemnified. Anyway, Allison Arden's here tonight. She's going to be on the show a little later. But welcome in the studio. Thank you. Happy to be here. Are you? Uh, she hasn't fled yet, so. Yeah, so far so good. So far so good. <laughs> you guys are less gonna... hairy than you seem. Oh, okay. Like I picture that, like Wyla Cody, puff of smoke, <laughs> They're, like their shape in the door. <laughs> you could just make flat Allison. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to talk about um, something really set me off today. I mean, everything sets me off, but something set me mm-hmm. off today because someone was promoting the word prevention. On uh, <laughs> and they just rolled their eyes for all of you on the radio. They were promoting like like everyone has to focus on prevention. All these doctors care about prevention. And again, it goes back to my my whole metaphor of the asterisk, which is everything's great except if you're under forty. Mm-hmm. And where the asterisk in all the these conversations, where prevention doesn't matter under forty because you can't get screened. It's mostly genetic and environmental factors, and it's cancers that you can't even detect. So there. There's no such thing. I, don't, I was born with brain cancer. How do you prevent that? Like, that's the whole point. Annie, you were you have BRCA1. I have BRCA1, and no one in my family ever manifested with breast or ovarian cancer. So how am I supposed to prevent it if uh, or people are supposed to get blood? If you're a Jew, just get a blood test? Like, <laughs> that's insane. Right. So and it, it was, takes me off when people say that. It was this actually very intelligent, well, well-spoken Huffington Post writer who had prostate cancer at 36 years old, which is incredibly rare yeah. to have under 65. 
and he actually blamed himself publicly for getting prostate cancer that he led a, he led a a debaucherous malnourished life but i would i would be willing to bet that if you lined up the top prostate cancer oncologists in the country they would completely disagree that this was brought on and that this was a genetic issue that had nothing to do with his lifestyle. And for all I know, he rolled in carpet fresh as a kid because he's my age. Does he have BRCA mutation? I don't know. Because that's um, a but high I, risk for men for prostate. But, but, but still, like, I don't understand. I don't get it. Like, why? Right. So I was basically being a big dick on Twitter with him, <laughs> saying there's no such thing as prevention under 40. He's like, what do you mean? And it's like, well, um, when you're born with cancer or it's genetic or it's caused by environment, you can't prevent that. It just happens because it's out of your control. And that young adults don't get prostate, they don't get breast, they don't in, in the huge quantities, they don't get colorectal, um, they don't get uh, lung cancer in the quantities of the 94% of Americans over the age of 50. So prevent cancer is a great idea. But anyway, we just agreed to disagree, and I invited him on the show to debate me, and he declined. You know what also pisses me off are the people who knock Angelina Jolie right. for getting a preventative mastectomy. So what are we – it's like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Right. Everyone's like, did you drink? Was it because you were a fat kid? Did you smoke? <laughs> I'm like, no, I have this mutation. And sometimes – I know sometimes like, it's not good to have like a horrible genetic mutation that causes – aggressive breast cancer and aggressive ovarian cancer, but at the same time, it, like, shuts people up because then they stop going down the road of, what did you do? Well, that was the whole point. Like, the fact that he, I was joking when I wrote back to him and I said, are you suggesting that you caused your own prostate cancer? And he said, absolutely. Like, that is such a horrible message. Yeah. And to think that way, that, you know, there's lung cancer in young adults. It's small amounts, but like 100%, I, I wouldn't say 100%, uh, the, the overwhelming majority of young adults who get cancer are not smokers, and they're mostly women. Right. So why is Dana Reeve, for example? like Why, why, is someone, yeah. why does someone like Ethan Zahn get cancer who runs friggin' marathons, who's right. in the greatest shape, who leads a pretty healthy lifestyle? He's a, what, he's a professional soccer player. Right. How to you know he wasn't doing steroids. He's extremely lean. So how does someone like him end up with lymphoma when he's like? What else could you do? Well, we we put this question to the litmus test on our Facebook wall, and I asked basically, what the hell does prevention really mean if you're under forty? And we got like eighty people left these amazing comments with embedded replies and lots of internal likes. And it was I think it was a really good um, sort of objective perspective of how the the Gen X, Gen Y millennials really understand and, uh, what their relationship is with, with cancer and mass media marketing and messaging about it. Mm-hmm. Um, nearly everyone said pretty much what you said. Like, I was a vegan guru, Zen god of running yeah. every day, and I got lymphoma, and, you know, like, you can't prevent anything. You can't, and it's like you can't prevent, like, skinny people are diabetic. Right. Skinny people have high cholesterol yeah. who eat healthy and do everything right. Right. But it's not just cancer. It's like sometimes you're genetically disposed to right. really shitty diseases. Yeah. And it's a horrible message to say you did it to yourself. If you were 70 years old and smoked for 40 years and you want to say, I gave myself cancer or I gave myself mouth cancer or whatever it is, then fine. You can say that. Or if, you know, there's a fine line. Like there's some, and this is all like, totally speculative but if you're disposed 
predisposed to breast cancer, hormone positive, and then you get you jack yourself full of like IVF hormones. Right. You could claim. You could claim, or you could have accelerated it. Right. But you probably would have caught it anyway. It just reminds me, uh, and we'll wrap up in a second. My, my, I'll out myself again as a Sex in the City nerd. Um, oh, when, when, boy. when Samantha got breast cancer, one of the throwaway lines in the episode was that the fact that she didn't have children predisposed right. her to having a higher risk of breast cancer. So she's like, you mean to tell me that because I didn't settle down and have a kid, like this is my penance for not being a mom? Yeah. So like literally, yeah. you know, how, how do you, you want to take ownership of that? I'm a single mom and I caused breast cancer. Or I'm, I decided to adopt and I had breast cancer. I want to, anyway. Yeah, it's Thank um, God. it's such a like it's a bone of contention for me, basically. It's a, it's a, it's a same. So I apologize to this guy on Twitter for like giving giving him a hard time. But you on know the what? flip side, yeah, it makes all the moms who do have kids who had kids who got cancer feel guilty for thinking they could have done something to prevent this. Exactly. <laughs> like, so all the moms are damned if they do. I mean, like I was born with brain cancer. I can't imagine what went through my mom's head if she. I, there's no evidence that what she did caused this. It was complete mutation. But to be a parent with a childhood cancer and to think that somehow your body made this human being and this human being has cancer, it's your fault. Terrible. Yeah, we could talk about this forever. It pisses yeah. me off, too, because people always, it's like, it makes people feel better to, like, find a reason. When well, something terrible happens to someone before their time, they, like, desperately try to find a reason to blame it, and you kind of can't. Well, speaking of horrible things happening to good people, in our Survivor Spotlight tonight, uh, all right, Matt Klein, for my segue of the day, is a 22-year Hodgkin's survivor living in Westchester who has a passion for raising the spirits of others in his professional career. He works at Elite Marketing Group, which is a full-service experiential marketing agency based out of New York City. Please welcome back returning champion Matt Klein. Matt. Hey, how are you, Matt? How you doing? Good I know you were listening in to our, our show just now before we brought you on. Um, did, could you prevent uh, <laughs> Hodgkin's disease? Well, it, it's, uh, I was listening, and it's, it's pretty crazy. You know, I was diagnosed uh, 22 years ago um, and went nine months of chemotherapy, six weeks of radiation. And after going through the treatments, we come to find out that the people that lived in the house before us, the bedroom that I actually had, the girl had Hodgkin's disease. And That's it just creepy. was That gets very, like a Twilight very, Zone. I don't have that on my yeah, soundboard. Very, very creepy, very creepy. And um, obviously there was nothing that I could have done to prevent, you know, getting Hodgkin's and, um, you know, going through the, uh, you know, the, the 10, 11 months of treatment that I, I did go through. It, it, was, uh, it was obviously a rough time. All right. I thought you were going to say Indian burial ground, but I will accept a lymphoma patient uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> prior in that house. Yeah. Although Indian burial ground would have been much cooler. Much cooler. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> did you at least have a different bed, or did they leave all the furniture? <laughs> uh, I, I think we got new stuff. I wasn't into the uh, the bunk beds that they had before us, but uh, oh. I had the race car bed when I was a kid. Sweet. Yeah, exactly. All right, so all right, so you, this was 22 years ago, so clearly you were, I guess, you know, one-year-old. and yeah. uh, <laughs> no, I was 15. Uh, so, I was 15 at the time. I was 15 at the time. So, right, so uh, you're in high school. 
which is the second cruelest uh, school to be in next to junior high school, um, mm-hmm. as far as your people hating on you and bullying you and whatnot. Was that your experience? Um, you know, it, it's uh, it was interesting because I had moved to. I, I was living in. I grew up in Queens. I moved to Long Island, and I moved to Long Island when I was 12. Uh, unfortunately, a year into me living in Long Island, my father passed away. So not only am I the new kid at school, I'm the new kid whose father passed away, and then a year and a half later, I'm diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, loses his hair, um, you know, is on prednisone, gets, you know, uh, pudgy because of uh, the steroid. Um, Two schools had merged, and so it was, you know, not only just dealing with the kids that I did know that were in my original high school, but it was merging with another high school, and so now I'm, you know, the kid with cancer. And um, I wouldn't call it bullying, but there was, I had a, a feeling of alienation, and whether or not that was from kids not fully understanding and or being able to accept and or a combination of me, you know, pulling away, um, I would never call it bullying, but I absolutely could feel um, an awkwardness around, um, you know, the other students. And when you went through treatment, did you meet any other younger patients when you, I'm assuming you were in pediatrics, did they introduce you yeah. to any other kids, or, you know, got, how, did, how was your experience, I mean, 22 years ago, was beef, you know, there wasn't a ton of, you know, internet and resources of like online support groups and chat rooms how did you find support was it within your own family or your, the friends you had or you know connecting to other I, patients i i found well there's a, there's a few things number one my mom who's actually listening was the biggest support system that um you know i had you know she practically dropped everything to make sure that her kid you know, made it, and, um, you know, you're right, there was no internet, there was other kids that were going through it, but I remember specifically, you know, starting treatment right around the same time as this other young girl, and, um, you know, I think she might have stopped treatment uh, a month before me, and uh, unfortunately, um, she uh, had a recurrence of Hodgkin's, and I did not, so there was a sense of guilt that I actually had that I uh, was able to get through my treatment, get through radiation, and, you know, haven't looked back um, with any form of uh, reoccurrence. But, um, you know, there was kids there, but again, you're, 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 you're trying to figure this out on your own and, and keep a positive um, mindset and you know, it's embarrassing going through it and, you know, but at the same point you're, you're, you're in the hospital on Fridays and this is when, you know, I'd, you'd go in for chemo, you'd be in there all day um, and so you would see the same, you know, kids over and over again and, and the, the, the sad part or the scary part was when that kid was not there that, uh, that Friday and when he or she should have been and, and um, that's, you know, really some of the, the challenging parts during the, the time of, of treatment. So, Matt, one of the, one of the revelations of, of science finally, you know, 30,000 years later, is that 
getting treated for cancer as a kid kind of screws you up for the rest of your life um, in some capacity, whether it's post-traumatic stress or infertility or diabetes or whatever. Um, ha- were you coached at all along the way that these might be things you'd have to deal with? And are you part of the club that, uh, you know, you may be cured, but you may be disease-free, but you don't feel cured? Well, I don't think you're ever cured. Um, it's something that I carry with me every single day. Um, I was not coached, or let me at least take a step back and say I don't remember um, being coached about um, the potential for uh, long-term effects. Um, infertility, you brought it up, um, and it's, it's uh, a challenge that, I'm dealing with right now. I have uh, an unbelievable wife. Um, We were uh, married two years ago, and and we're looking to start a family, and I I recently found out that um, I'm not producing the boys that uh, will make this party continue, you know? And so, you know, we are looking at um, various options at this point, And and it's frustrating because, you know, I look at it two different ways. I would have loved to have known what could have been done when I was 15 years old. Uh, At the same point, I'm happy that I'm actually able to have this conversation with you guys because uh, it was pretty aggressive um, form of cancer uh, when I I was diagnosed. And, And I was talking to a buddy of mine last night, and I was telling him, you know, about the the experience my wife and I are going through right now with uh, the fertility doctors and the urologists, and he says, you know, Matt, he goes, you're lucky to be having this conversation. You know, um, 22 years ago we were, you know, and, and you were fighting for your life. You weren't fighting for your life so that you could have a kid, you know, 22 years later. So, um, you know, it's a challenge, and it's, it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm upset, I'm frustrated. Um, at the same point, I'm a very positive person, and um, we're going to take the appropriate steps to give us as best of a chance to have um, a kid uh, between the two of us as we possibly can. Well, I, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I like to make the point that um, you have the right to be a parent, and cancer should not take that away from you whether that means adoption or surrogacy or any other possible option, then you shouldn't have to go broke becoming a parent because cancer may have taken it away from you. I mean, I would fully agree. It's, um, you know, we're going through it. We're, we're um, seeing doctors at, uh, at Cornell in the city, and, um, you know, we are taking the appropriate steps to put us in a position to hopefully – uh, come out with an outcome that we're all going to be very happy with. But you're right; it's it's, it's very pricey. Uh, insurance is not covering it. Uh, I'm lucky to have, um, you know, some assistance from um, some family members. But uh, you know, it's 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 very challenging. It's very challenging. Yeah, and make sure you check out Fertile Hope too. They uh, they definitely help people out in their situations. So why don't you tell us a little about your life now and uh, Elite Marketing Group and everything you're doing now in your life. Yeah, sure. You know, um, like I said, I've been married for two years. My wife and I moved up to Scarsdale last year. Um, We have a a great life, you know. Uh, I have a great job. I I work for an experiential marketing agency in the city. 
Um, I've been in the marketing world for 15, 16, 17 years already, and, uh, you know, everything is great. You know, I, I, I cannot complain about anything. This is just uh, a challenge that was sprung upon us, you know, recently, and, and um, you know, as Matt said before, you know, he brought it up, you never leave this, you know, uh, diagnosis. You know, I, I could I could be out of the woods for 22 years with regards to you know um, being in remission, but you know I go to that fertility doctor and it hits me over the head all over again that what I dealt with, what I thought I left in the past 15 years ago, I didn't really leave in the past. Right, and I think that's the biggest issue we like to drive home at, at Stupid Cancer here on the show is that. When the doctor says you're cured, go home, that's not really ever the end of the story. And it's very, I also like that we're not very special, but we're very different as cancer patients in our, you know, under 40, whether you're born with it, whether you get it at 6, 12, 19, 25, as long as you're under 40, which is that magic number that I'll be next year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I would, I'll. I, I would love to talk you offline about what I did um, with my wife to get two beautiful uh, three-year-old twins who are learning how to be potty trained right now, which is very exciting, which I never thought I'd put those words together in one sentence before. Uh, but I'm right there with you. I feel, I not not to be Clinton-esque, but I feel your pain. Uh, it's not a, sadly, not a unique story uh, in our world, but it's really important that that message is driven out there. Um, I guess my question for you is, uh, you know, what role do you think someone in your position could play to advocate for others like yourself? You know, I, I've been thinking about, you know, uh, what I can do. And, and, and you know, I, I think it's a little early right now for me to try to figure out what um, I want to do with all of this. But I absolutely think that the conversation is never you know, it could never be too early to have that conversation. You know, I had no clue that I would be in this position. Um, I mean, I had an idea over the years, but, you know, your ego gets in the way and you say, oh, I, you know, I, I was I was thrown a bad hand once, you know, God's not going to take away the ability for me to create my own. And um, But the reality is, that's not the case. Check the ego at the door because nothing that your ego is going to, to assist you with is going to, to help you out. And I think having any sort of conversation about the future um, and, um, you know, freezing sperm at an early age. And it might be embarrassing to have the conversation with, you know, your parents when you're 14, 15 years old, but this is real life. And I think, you know, understanding that, that you know, let's, let's assume that you're going to get past it. Let's assume you're going to beat, beat, you know, the disease. Um, you want to set yourself to be in a position to, to have all of those things that, you know, before you had cancer you were thinking that you potentially might have down the line. You know, right. so, you know, educating, communicating, um, you know, opening up the dialogue, at a, like I said, at an early age, because, you know, it's, if I would have known, you know, 
back then that there's the potential that we could have, you know, uh, saved my sperm, you know, at least it's a conversation that I could have had, and, and I might have brushed it off and, you know, been a, you know, an immature kid, but at least that conversation would have taken place. And, and you know, I, I, I go back in my, my you know, Rolodex in my, in my head and, said, and I say, did we ever have that conversation? Were my doctors ever, you know, telling me these things? And, and I have to say, I do not remember that happening. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's disappointing, it's frustrating, but at the same point, these people saved my life, you know? And um, h- how long, you know, can I really be, you know, uh, upset about it? Yeah. While we uh, we'll end it on our conversation on a happy note, why don't you tell us how you met your wife? And you know, and all dating is a very daunting topic for a lot of cancer survivors because they're very nervous to disclose their illness about the stigma of having the disease. So, why don't you tell us how you met your wife and how you told her and just how that whole awkward, awesome conversation played <laughs> out? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's. Um, yeah. I met her online. I met her on J-Date, and, um, you know, we hit it off right away. And, and one of the, the things that I asked her early on before we met was, what was, you know, um, one of the nicest things that you ever done for somebody? And she um, is a gift of life donor. And when she told me this, aside from being extremely attractive, but when, when she told me this, um, I had to meet her, and, um, you know, I wanted to be with somebody that I could spend the rest of my life with that I'm going to be proud of standing next to, because there are challenges. This is the challenge that we're going through right now. Um, I, I, I wanted the heart uh, of, of somebody that was extremely special, and, and, and I lucked out. I, I have an extremely special wife who is as caring as can be that, um, you know, it's been supportive through this. You know, I told her early on, you know, that was the, that was the, the, the biggest challenge. It wasn't, it wasn't the cancer, but it was the, the potential of not being able to have kids. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, you know a, a young woman doesn't... Um, for most young women, at least, that I know, they want to go into, into it with the ability to, to, uh, to have their own children. And so that was, I was very scared about that. And, so I would, um, I would just yeah. chime in and say that once, once she got past that, the, uh, as, as a husband, the, the whole, oh, my God, she tolerates me factor uh, <laughs> kicked in, and then it suddenly yeah. negated everything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we are incredibly happy for you. I know, like you said, it's it's an ongoing, uh, it's an ongoing. I won't say a battle. I don't like military references, but just sort of your life revolves around your past, but you try to build the future around what makes sense for you. And you know, it's a it's a really important idea worth sharing, which is you know everything we've been discussing about your story. Um, but uh, I, again, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come back on the show, Returning Champion, because it's such a compelling narrative what you are, have gone through. And God bless your wife again for accepting you, but even more again as a husband for tolerating you. Which is well, thank you so much. The and best you know, gift the wife can I, give I, is toleration. Yeah, <laughs> I hope to be able to come back on again in a, in a few months with some positive news. And uh, you know, I'd love to share, uh, continue to share the experience. 
you know, and uh, I appreciate everything you guys do, and, and thanks for having me again. Well, when you're covered in diarrhea, yes. Okay, we'll definitely have you back on the show. <laughs> Yikes. All right. Matt Klein, everyone. Thank you. Hopefully he won't be touching the phone, though, <laughs> Oh, my God, those were really bad days. Anyway, it is time for the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right, Kenny, what's up? All right, Matthew, did you know? <laughs> Maybe I did. You can head on over to events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something to be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Now we got some meetups happening in Rochelle Park, New Jersey, Jacksonville, Florida, Orlando, Florida, and Wyoming entirely. The whole state? Just Wyoming. Is it going to be like that scene from 2012 where everything blows up? Maybe. Just like that. Except less blowing up. Woody Harrelson's going to be there? Yes, with okay. his, uh, his truck full of Twinkies. <laughs> right, Dick Cheney? Exactly. Dick Cheney, right, exactly. Okay, save the date for OMG 2014, the 7th annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults. April 25th, 26th, 27th at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. OMG2014.org is the website. OMG2014.org. Sign up for the official mailing list and join the OMG Summit group on Facebook to stay in the loop. The Stupid Cancer Store has awesome products for sale right now. Sport your gear or our gear. And send in your pics because you could be the next viral sensation on our Facebook wall. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. StupidCancerStore.org. And finally, the Stupid Cancer Forums is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit StupidCancerForums.org and sign up with one click through Facebook. And that is your Stupid, Stupid Cancer, Cancer News. And now for our main event. We have joining us Allison Arden. She is the vice president publisher of Ad Age and author of the book of doing everyday activities to unlock creativity and joy. Allison is on a mission to raise the value of creativity and help others embrace their personal creativity for success in business and in life. And also joining her is Adam Bear. He is Actually, a- Adam's coming later. Oh, okay. Eight forty-five spot. Okay. Allison. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah, it, we're actually not doing a roundtable until he falls in. Okay. Which I probably should have told you off the air. It's okay. But that's perfectly fine. It's cool. We're all good. We're completely transparent, organic. I'll have a mulligan and do it again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll clean it up in post. Hi, Allison. Hi, Matthew. Welcome back. Thank you. Even though you didn't go anywhere. Happy to be here. <laughs> so I met you um, as part of a really interesting leadership panel. Uh, brought together by the Weizmann Institute for Science or of Science or something like that, and the Tomorrow Lab Summit and the Tomorrow Lab Summit. Yes, the uh, actually it's just called Tomorrow Lab. Apparently, there's no the. It's just Tomorrow Lab. But the summit, I think, has yes, that. exactly. Yes, yes. The <laughs> Tomorrow Lab, the summit. <laughs> we'll movie phoneize it. If you'd like to press one, press one. What? Anyway. So I was excited to meet you and a bunch of other really amazing people there, including David Stern, who is the president of the NBA, yeah. um, that uh, I just learned because I'm not a sports person. But it was exciting <laughs> to sit next to him. It was a really interesting gathering. It was a very eclectic. Lots of really smart people. Exactly. I, I, yeah. You know you're the smart people when you feel the dumbest guy in the room? Yeah. We were all there. Anyway, so you come from the world of advertising and Ed Age. I do. And uh, I come from the world of advertising, and I have been reading Ed Age for 15 years. <laughs> it is not a guilty pleasure. It is an innocent pleasure. 
to really get a get a grip on you know my perspective and perceptions and how I can drive our brand forward and understanding trends and um, you know healthcare and science and consumers and the average person and late personizing these are all fancy schmancy things that we talk about. But I did want to just get uh, a baseline because you have been directly affected by cancer and pediatrics and have a personal interest in the science around where we can go uh, in advancing uh, oncology and outcomes. I do. When I got involved with uh, Tomorrow Lab, I had a choice between which kind of sector I supported. And all the work I've been doing around creativity made sense for education, but my heart was kind of dragging me to science because uh, as a kid, my uh, best friend in sixth grade died of cancer. And then, you know, we've had lots of family members who have been affected as well. But just a few years ago, my best friend's daughter was diagnosed with uh, non-Hodgkin's stage four lymphoma. And we didn't think she was going to make it. You know, she went for treatments, got chemo, went into remission, and then suddenly had a relapse. So the only thing that could help her was a a stem cell replacement, which she was fortunate enough to get. But it it was a couple of really, really tough years. So watching a friend go through this and feeling like there could have been something she could have done and, you know, like uh, Adam was saying, he, you know, his mom dropped everything. Right. So just doing what we could to get Rachel better was all everybody thought about. That was all they cared about, right. And the, the idea that Weitzman is doing work that can help, you know, people like Rachel live. Right. You know, and I... And I know, flash forward 20 years, you know, there could be issues, but the idea that she is living is just so beautiful. And, again, it goes back to where we start at the top of the show, which is this idea of prevention, which when you're – how do you prevent cancer as a kid? You can't. And then the impact, again, we're a brand about young adults affected by cancer, not just those who have had it like myself or Annie, but if you have a child who is sick and you're 28 or 29 or 30 years old or in that age range, Everything changes. You can't pursue your career. You can't. Your relationships all change. How does that manifest? And it's. I mean, thank you for sharing that. I'm glad she's okay. It's, it's amazing, but she's going to grow up. Absolutely. To be like Matt, who's a young adult who has survived childhood cancer and now has to face the lifestyle of that. Other things, but they're. You know, right. that's, you know, those are the lucky ones who actually get to do that exactly yeah it's a it's a it's a, it's a privilege to have issues <laughs> <laughs> somebody said that's my new right. band name <laughs> pressure is a privilege yeah i don't know exactly. if that's true either but like happy to be yeah so um i also wanted to briefly and i know annie wanted to chime in um the the idea of women appreciating science and getting into science and finding exciting ways to to really not just is it really the new black? Is it the new the tech jobs, the science jobs? How do we get more women in there? There is so much conversation around women getting engaged in so many things, uh, from getting more women in the C-suite, getting more women involved in technology, because if you get more women involved in technology, you get them more involved in product development, and then women are developing products for women. There's lots of really great reasons to do this. But when you start thinking about women getting involved in science, and science being all around trying things from new perspectives, bringing in a whole kind of gender who looks at things differently and explores the world and thinks about the world in a new way, you start 
finding new solutions, and that could only be a good thing. The thing that is so challenging is that so many women aren't, haven't been traditionally, girls growing up, haven't been really that excited about, about science. So, which is why so much of what's happening now with the Weizmann Institute and so many other people are changing how we think about and frame science, which makes it so much more appealing and approachable. My daughter, who is into acting and into art, suddenly piped up about a month or two ago and said she wanted to take science in camp. And I was astounded, but so excited. I kind of didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> but yeah. I was excited to now Very be connected cool. to people who know what to, how to, what to help, can help me. Yeah, I wish I studied a little harder in science when I was younger, but I was one of those uh, girl slackers who said, I'm never going to need this later in life. Earth science threw me over the edge. You know, <laughs> that was it. I was done. Yeah. I, uh, Organic chemistry done me in, so. Oh, I didn't even make it that far. So another part of the puzzle is getting more women in science. The medical industry is also women as physicians, whether it be, you know, psychiatrists or an oncologist, it's the bedside. To me, it's a huge part of it is the bedside manner of female doctors, especially because, and I don't know, and I'll let you talk about the role women play. Some of the women's cancers or women's issues are really difficult to talk about with men. It's really embarrassing. I'm sure that's true. And, a lot of side effects, and that's another reason why you know I'm. You can elaborate on this, but I, I think it's another thing that's so important is that so many women's diseases, whether you know cancer and the, everything that comes along with having cancer, sexual side effects, emotional side effects, fertility side effects. Women sometimes don't feel comfortable talking to men about these things. Right, and and to the point of starting addressing it at a younger age. A young girl's not going to want to talk to a male doctor about that, it's and, right, and yeah. vice versa, right? So it's it's just it's so important on so many levels. Yeah, even as, and you're right, especially like the teen girls, the girl who's 16, you know, who's like Lola, who's 16 years old. She might not, she might be embarrassed to have certain conversations with a male doctor. There's certain conversations I won't even have with my male doctor. I'm like I. I've got, like, 18 doctors. <laughs> I'll have this talk with someone else where it's a little bit less embarrassing. And I think that's so – it's an, it's easily overlooked, possibly by people who haven't been in that position. But it's also so important why women have to get involved because one with, I think it's one in three women get cancer in their lifetime. Yeah, to to me, it's about chemistry, mm-hmm. regardless of anything. I think you know, men and men and women could deal fine together. Women and women, you know, so a female doctor with a male patient might work great, and right, and it goes the other way around too. Totally, but I, on, it's there's the so options. many pieces of of this, and yeah. a lot of times you'll have a male doctor and a female doctor working together, which is a, and that's totally a beautiful cool, combination. Some doctors have different strengths. And yeah, of course, personality-wise, and it's important just to have the option to have more female doctors. In New York City, you're not at a shortage of female doctors, but I feel like in other, you know, parts of the country. I mean, even I grew up on Long Island. I felt like every doctor I ever had growing up was a man. It's uh, probably a New York City thing that we have so female, so many right. female physicians. We're going to change all that tonight. <laughs> 
This show will change the world. Yeah, if you're a we young need more women involved. <laughs> if in you are a young woman, listen to this show, or if you're a parent of a young woman, get her in bio class. Dr. Hannah Greenswag, paging Dr. Hannah Greenswag. There you go. My daughter. <laughs> that sounded good. Yeah. She has fabulous hair too. Yes, and, she does. And there are so many different uh, parts of science that that can be approached. So I reached out to Rita King, who's another woman on the. Uh, tomorrow Labs uh, Summit with us and involved in the committee. And she said, well, what kind of science is she interested in? Right. I said, I don't know. Right now it's just a big bucket. It was <laughs> one word. <laughs> so just more education around all of the different areas that we can be exploring I think is wonderful. So, Allison, you are an author. I am. I'm very impressed by people who write books and actually get them published and actually get co-reviews. I from, never thought I was going to be an author. From my man crush like Brad Meltzer. <laughs> How did you get his 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 sign? That was an awesome quote. Uh, Brad is a very good friend for a very long time. Oh, okay. And his when he read the book and he said that, I was like, wow, how did you epitomize it so beautifully? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, man crush right there. He's a cool guy, very oh, cool guy. That's so funny. And yeah. and another Brooklyn boy. Uh, really? Yeah. A nice Jewish boy, too. A nice Jewish yes. boy from Brooklyn before yeah. he moved to Florida. So the book, book is called The Book of Doing. Tell us about it. Uh, it's called The Book of Doing, Everyday Activities to Unlock Creativity and Joy, and was uh, kind of launched out of my own exploration of my happiness. Right? I was working. Uh, I'm a mom. I have two young kids. I have a 12-year-old son and a 9-year-old daughter. I'm married. So we have a lot going on, and I'm no different than so many other people. And I suddenly realized that I was running so fast that I wasn't taking time to enjoy any of it. So I slowed myself down and started paying attention to what was making me happy and what I was enjoying and what I was doing out of a sense of obligation and started just exploring the world in a whole new way and testing things that I didn't think were possible. I uh, heard you could mail a fruit without packaging. Yes, so, I know that. That is true. It that is, is true. true. Yeah. Wow. But I didn't think it's you on could. on BuzzFeed, like 10 things you would never understand. Could you just put a mailing label on a banana? Yeah. It, well, if it, there are some postal regulations I've come to find oh, out. Okay. It has to be, uh, if it, it's at your own discretion, and it should not be something that could be crushed and mess up other people's mail. So a pumpkin is really good. Yes, right. just like pumpkins and watermelons. That's awesome. Yeah. So a pomegranate, a Pumpkin, but there are all kinds of things you could explore. A mango, an ugly fruit. A, a mango might get a little soft. Yeah, yeah. A really, a really, uh, a cantaloupe, an like avocado kiwi. before it gets ripe. Kiwi. Yeah. But it, it's all about kind of testing things and seeing if they're possible, because oftentimes you'll stop yourself from doing something because you don't think it's possible. So right. my little pumpkin experiment was about that, and the next day it arrived at home because I mailed one to myself to see if it was possible, and then <laughs> mailed a whole bunch. And when you think about what the postal service could have done, rather than closing down all of their outlets, uh, if people understood all the creative things you could do with the Postal Service. You should send it with UPS and it'll come back like pureed. Yeah. So when I first wrote the book and it came out, I got, I've got, you know, lots of nice outreach, but two really funny calls. One was from NASCAR, who would have ever thought the race car drivers would have been interested in the book, and the other was from uh, the folks at Weitzman. And I never would have thought there would have been a science connection to it, but they said there's a lot of similarities between the messages. It was it's it's a great book. I mean, I we I've been reading all the reviews in the Amazon. I mean, it's really Thank good. You. I want a copy. I'm asking um, you live on the air. I here. I meant to bring one. I was afraid it was going to rain. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but you said something about uh, 
your this whole stupid cancer thing is about getting busy living. Correct. And oftentimes it is cancer that kind of stops us in our tracks or some terrible thing that stops us in our tracks and said, oh, my God, I'm sweating the small stuff. I have to start living. And that's kind of what the book is about. It's like 96 different activities to just start doing, exploring the world in a new way, and you start meeting people and doing things that you never, that you forgot you were capable of doing and that you forgot you enjoyed in the first place. So it's just lots of really fun ideas to just start living again. All right. We need to get in touch with Pumpkin Chunkin and do like this Instagram-based pumpkin mailing campaign around the country. Oh, boy. Yeah. Halloween is coming up. Yes, it is. It is the fall. It is almost pumpkin season. Now, you were mentioning before a Bloody Mary bar. Yes, I do love Bloody Marys. So Bloodies are actually featured in the book because I started a new tradition because I was sad about having to leave for business travel on Sundays. So I started a Bloody Mary tradition every time I go to the airport. With oh. my colleagues, we have a Bloody Mary. And it's so that makes it a little bit better, something to look forward to some, on Sundays. We now actually really look forward nice. to the airport visit, so I need the Bloody Mary bar. Yeah, it's down on Stone Street. I'll tell you about it. Well, right. Maureen's <laughs> travel request budget is going to go up now. <laughs> <laughs> my per diem is yeah. increasing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, well, again, I'm, you're, you're sticking around. This is great. Thank you for coming on the show. We'll, my pleasure. We'll, we'll Thanks keep for talking. But I'd like to bring out our, our next uh, special guest tonight. Uh, my friend Adam Bear uh, is a writer, humorist, musician, and young adult survivor. Diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in 1995, a year before me, with a skull-based chordoma in 2010. So two times the charm. He is a former NPR cultural producer who has written for the New York Times, Harper's, and Rolling Stone, among other magazines. You can read his stories at adambearbaer.com. In addition to a new funny medical advice column at theall.com. And he's on Twitter at the handle Glass Shallot. At Glass Shallot. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Adam Bear. Adam. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> welcome. How you doing? Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm excited to have you here. Good, me too. <laughs> uh, all right, so the, before we get to anything else, Maureen here from my staff was like, Glass Shallot. Probably yeah. one of the most unique Twitter handles. Explain that. Um, well, you know, it's sort of an evocation of nothingness at the end of the day. We started it, I started it early in the blog, blogger years, and, uh, I, you know, I love the Beatles song Glass Onion, and I just thought that, uh, you know, in the spirit of coming up with funny blog names that didn't really mean anything, we could go with Glass Shallot, make it a little sweeter, <laughs> and, uh, talk about peeling away layers of information. We're going to channel Paul McCartney right now. Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, I mean, uh, we were introduced through the world of young adult cancer media and and cool people right. and and whatnot. And uh, your your I, I, your your um your advice column on the all. Please refresh my memory. It's like not dead yet, guy or something. <laughs> yeah, it's it's called uh, it's called ask somehow still alive guy. Right, and uh, still alive guy. Right? <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, so, it's. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, so this was kind of your way of 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 sort of, I guess, dealing with or, or putting a, a vent on uh, your diagnoses and, and whatnot? Well, uh, yeah, and a little bit like actually helping people because, um, you know, it's, I, I aim to tell a little bit of my story in these columns, but uh, I just found myself having a lot of conversations with friends, some of whom, you know, really needed medical advice and maybe didn't have health insurance. 
and didn't really know how to speak with their doctors, and they always come to me. And it's, I did not go to medical school. I don't pretend to be a doctor, but, you know, I can sometimes point them in the right direction, sometimes explain a few things, and I get asked a lot of really wacky questions. So I thought it would be a really funny column. There's no one better to ask than a professional patient. That is yes. always what I say when you're going to the doctor. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience with Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, tell us how old you are, what was going on, and also explain what a skull-based chordoma is and how that happened. Yeah. And that sounds like an owie, a big owie. The cancer so nice yeah. twice. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a very rare condition. Um, but, you know, Hodgkin's is obviously not rare. Um, I was diagnosed with stage 4B in the middle of my senior year of high school, and I was, uh, I was uh, gunning for music schools. I'm a violinist. And I had been taking a lot of uh, auditions, like at Lincoln Center and various places around New York City. And, yeah, I just had a really bad fever, and we we didn't know what it was, and we found out that's what it was. I was kind of treated real fast with a harsh uh, protocol they don't use anymore, and that always uh, elicits a lot of, uh, oh, no, kind of responses (laughs) from nurses these days. And um, I went off to college, like within under six months, I went off to college, and... uh, Unfortunately, it did relapse two years into college, and then I uh, had more chemo and a stem cell bone marrow transplant and took that year off. And But I returned, and I finished, and I was sort of told that I was in the clear. Um, but, uh, yeah, this skull-based chordoma is a completely separate condition. It's um, a congenital skull-based tumor. It's in the head. It's not a brain tumor, and um, it's very slow-growing. It's kind of interesting because it's actually referred to as a malignant tumor, but uh, because its its rate of speed is so slow, doctors call it benign, although it's, you know, pathologically not benign. And uh, right. I really enjoy having these conversations <laughs> about the meanings of words um, because they can really trigger responses in people. You know, you want to you hear something as benign as opposed to malignant, but then sometimes uh, there are benign tumors that would be worse in certain cases, you know, depending on their location. And at any rate, that's... Uh, that's something I was. I, I found out I had that like in 2006, just kind of because I had a general MRI of my head because I was uh, having peripheral neuropathy symptoms and had gone to a general neurologist. Oh, and, those uh, are real fun. Yeah, those were great, um, and they've become yearly uh, <laughs> yearly celebrations. But um, you know, it uh, it, it was treated. Uh, we had it resected neurosurgically with an innovative procedure by a guy named Ted Schwartz at Cornell Weill, and then um, and then I had a pretty advanced form of proton beam radiation done as well at Mass General for a whole summer. That was a couple so of summers living, ago. So were you living on the East Coast during that time, or did you just No, uh, no, I live in L.A., so I had gone, yeah, I had, like, sublet, you know, an apartment in Boston blindly through the Internet, like I found someone and just got an apartment and moved there for the summer to essentially go through, like, radiation camp <laughs> for the summer. And, radiation uh, camp. Wow, that's like, that's like almost like Jewish camp. Yeah, I mean, you know, a little Except less different. painful, actually. A and, uh, yeah, so it took nine <laughs> weeks, and, you know, I just kind of returned to L.A. They don't do that. Um, they don't do that really on the West Coast. They do it at one other place on the West Coast called Loma Linda, but we preferred the doctor and the facility at Mass General. Well, I would agree that to have a procedure done at a hospital that actually does the procedure yeah. you need to have done right. versus yep. the hospital that doesn't do the procedure you need to have done. I no, also right. think I, I read yeah. that Mass General is the best 
oncology hospital in the country, number one, perhaps? I mean, they're probably pretty close. Dana-Farber is in Boston, and yeah. they're the dedicated cancer center, but Mass General has great people, and uh, they work. They A lot of them know each other and work, you know, sometimes in the same place. It's it's a phenomenal hospital, and specifically their proton beam radiation facility is top-notch, and the guy, the doctor who treated me was, like really the world expert in this specific very rare tumor and how to treat it. Um, so that was a good, it was good that I learned that. It was good that I spent the summer there. Were you uh, involved in any sort of peer support or, I mean, did, well, first of all, let me step back. Did they think that the chordoma was a late effect of the Hodgkins or completely separate? For about, um, I'd say, four to five years, nobody knew really what it was. I mean, the word chordoma was bounced around. There were some other benign words. But until it was surgically resected, they couldn't really take a piece of it and, te and test it and see, like, you know, the pathology on the tissue. So um, I'm sorry, I can't, I, can't, I can't recall your first question, but... Uh, Basically, do they think it was related to your first yeah, cancer? Yeah, no. So it, originally we didn't know. And then um, once it became more clear that it was chordoma, it was clear that it was not related. Okay. Because so chordomas are, yeah, they're congenital. So right. I, I must have been surprised. walking around with it my whole life and not even known. Yeah, I, my my brain tumor was, I was born with it. So it was nice to know it was living inside me for 21 yeah. years before it decided to nice. party. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. when you party. feel yeah. alone. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so um, you work for NPR. Um, yeah, that, that was the first job I had out of college. Well, that's a super cool first job out of college if I ever heard of one. Yeah. It, it, was a, it was a dream job. It was a dream job. It was great. I, I really enjoyed it. I moved on too quickly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good problem to have, I suppose. Yeah, it was a great problem, and I wish I had that problem now. So so you've been writing and you write really great articles and, and again now with the somehow still alive guy piece you're you're really kind of like almost commoditizing your story and, and your your uh, your wit about things. Uh have you encountered a lot of um you know other young adults or have you seen the cancer narrative shift a little bit in that time? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I try not to watch it too closely. Frankly, both because it's something I do, and uh, because it because I've noticed that it's become something that turns some people off and isn't done very well often. You know, um, I you know I went to graduate school for writing, and writing's obviously very important to me. And uh, you know, for me, it's always been just is the story good? You know, does the story have a you know beginning, middle, and end? And they're a unique voice. And uh, I think we have to treat these stories the same way we treat any other story. And, yeah, so for me, I'm not sure that it's really undergone a shift so much. I mean, I think now maybe there, people are trying to be a little more funny with it, um, which is good. But um, I, I, I don't really know. And so one of the things you've written about is uh, medical marijuana and how it relates to cancer. Yeah. So yeah. why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, your experience with it, you're in California, I'm sure you had some sure. pretty sweet access, <laughs> unlike in the, in yep. the tri-state area where it's impossible to get your hands on. Right, So why don't you tell us about your experience with that and sure. why you decided to go write about it and the response you've gotten. Well, I got, a, yeah, a huge response, obviously. There's a, there's a large contingent, as we all know, who are in support of it. 
and California is a good place to be, especially L.A. or San Francisco. Um, I, uh, I, I should say I don't use it. I don't use it now, and I haven't really used it since I wrote that story, which was a few years ago. But um, I did start, you know, I have as a result of, we think as a result of my chemotherapies and perhaps a stem cell transplant um, and a disordered immune system, I have a peripheral neuropathy, a kind of what they call idiopathic neuropathy, which just means like a mysterious form of progressive nerve damage. And um, that causes a lot of pain. You probably see commercials for people who have um, diabetic nerve pain. It's not that different. Mm -hmm. And actually my... uh, I found a doctor a number of years ago in San Francisco named Donald Abrams, who runs the Osher Center for Integrative Medicine. Um, I had been writing a story for GQ that involved me interviewing Andrew Weil, and it turned out this guy had worked with Andrew Weil, and Andrew Weil recommended him to me, and he uh, had done like some really formidable studies on medical marijuana and how it um, had helped AIDS patients with, with neuropathy. And um, this guy, Donald, is a fabulous Western-trained oncologist, head of hematology at San Francisco General Hospital also, who combines those two, you know, sort of the East and the West, or the conventional and what we now call the integrative. And so, um, you know, I was living in L.A. and kind of confused that I had some nerve pain that was not going away and that wasn't being really helped too much by the prescription meds that I had been given. And so I thought it might be time to actually see if medical marijuana did work for me. And uh, I went ahead, and actually, I I don't know anyone else who has medical marijuana prescription that has gotten one from, like, a university-trained, you know, oncologist. But but Donald gave me, you know, a uh, prescription on University of San Francisco, California letterhead, and I (laughs) took that around to some really, really, like, like, dodgy marijuana pot shops and it really confused a lot of the people running them, and they didn't quite even know if they if it was real because it was from a real doctor. Um, and uh, you know, eventually I, I got some and tried it, and I ended up at a really uh, well-known boutique place called the Pharmacy, with spelled with an M, uh, spelled with an F. I mean, like farm. And right. you know, of course, nice. they had all the stuff. They had the gelato and the brownies and all the edible sodas and all kinds of interesting things. And um, you know, you can read more about it in, in that story I wrote, but basically it details how I was probably given the wrong amount and told to take <laughs> too much of it. <laughs> and now I essentially lost end. my mind for an evening because I took it um, the wrong way. I wasn't very good at smoking. I never really have been. And, uh, yeah, you know, I found that it did work for neuropathy, and it did reduce my pain. And... Um, I tried it a couple more times after that, but frankly, because I don't yet know how to find like a strain that isolates the uh, the uh, cannabinoids from the THC, which is the psychoactive compound, I oh, haven't paranoia. really even right. thought about yeah, yeah, you know, the stuff that makes you high essentially. Um, the CBD stuff, the cannabinoids are are really. I mean, the THC helps as well; it's pain reliever as well. But the cannabinoids are known to reduce pain, and they're known to do a lot of wonderful things. And uh, it would be cool if there were products out that used, you know, the cannabinoids. A lot of the chemo I had came from plants, and um, I'm not opposed to looking into stuff like that in the future and seeing what happens. I'm sure the big pharma is ready to go, you know, just waiting for the signal from the government. I, I wish it was easy to get in New York because it's legal in New Jersey, but it's extremely difficult to get and for your insurance to approve it and right. get your hands on it. So I just remember when I was in chemo, like a, 
just a year ago right now, the steroids. Yeah. I could have used something to take the edge off. And I know a lot of people, and this is like something I feel really strongly about, for everyone who's in treatment is getting hooked on prescription drugs. Right. Whether it be like sleeping pills or anti-anxiety medication or, you know, Ativan or, what, you know, whatever it may be, I I, per, I didn't have personal experience with this, but I feel that one of the ways to potentially avoid, you know, all the problems with prescription pills would be to get more widespread treatment with medical marijuana. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, the problem is that there's so many strains and they all have these creative names and the people selling it very often don't know the dosage that, uh, you know, people with certain conditions should take. And so this creates like a, like a lot of, you know, vexing for us and then there's like a lot of trial and error that we have to go through um, but you know <laughs> I got it in New York <laughs> in New York, so I think you can get it yeah New York um, all you have to have is a phone number for like a student at NYU and yeah. <laughs> that's how you get it in New York City <laughs> um, and, I, and I have unfortunately found out that I can yeah. get it through security at JFK airport too um, which is another, another thing you can read about so I, I just want to kick the question back to Allison also because you you work in advertising and, and medical marijuana is this big deal now and I haven't really seen the the risk averseness of, of of it get, filtering into mainstream uh, where major corporations would be interested in getting behind the citizen uprising. Seventy five percent of Americans are in favor of legalizing marijuana. Why don't yeah. we just commercialize it? That whole uh, have you? I mean, this is just an, an arbitrary question, but have you seen any indication that there's an interest from even maybe some of the fringe brands out there uh, in in taking on this uh, this issue? I haven't. That doesn't mean that there isn't one. Uh, I don't know. Based on the season of Mad Men, certainly. Yeah. Right, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, so uh, you're, you you so you tweet at Glass Shallot. What are the what are the types of things you you tweet about um, that uh, get people really embroiled or enraged or excited? Um, you know, I like to tweet when I when I obviously write something, and I generally get involved in some conversations with with other writers. There is always the occasionally humorous and uh, trying too hard aphorism. Um, I also happen to write about other subjects like culture and music and technology and uh, business. And so sometimes they'll relate to that. Sometimes they'll relate to current events. Today I was tweeting a little bit about the royal baby. Um, you <laughs> the know, first it, woman it, it, it really to have a child. It, right. Yeah, but now that the, uh, the all column is mm-hmm. up and running, there will be more, you know, kind of cancer, not just cancer related, but health related tweets. And uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. I want to ask you one more question, just how, you know, you've obviously been dealing with disease in one form or another for quite some time, almost 20 years. So how do you see having had cancer in, you know, in the future as you move forward as, right. you know, a normal person? How do you see it impacting and kind of shaping your career further well, from here on out? Well, it's something I've learned that I can't ignore in my professional life, and I've chosen to embrace it. And I do feel normal. For a long time, I think a lot, and I think this applies to everybody, but, uh, you know, I wanted to feel normal. I didn't feel normal. And I wanted to be treated normally. And I realized that the more normal I feel, the more normally I will be treated, and the more normal I'll think of myself. So, you know, just uh, like some people have said, like, 
you know, don't you want to kill that tumor that's in your head? And I say, no, I don't actually want to kill it because it's a part of me. Like, it's my bone. And, you know, if I don't love myself, like, who will? So um, I think it will kind of be a part of my career as long as I write. I don't know that it will dictate my career. But, like, you know, a line and a piece of music, it will probably always be running. And I'll sometimes choose to express that line more prominently and sometimes keep it kind of in the baseline. All right, Adam, final question. Your thoughts on pink for breast cancer? The color? <laughs> yeah. Are you disgusted by it, or do you think it actually makes a difference? Well, you know, I think uh, the advertising people would have uh, more opinionated thought about it. I, I think it works. Um, I think they need something. I think colors help. You know, I think music helps, but colors are easily identifiable. So, um, you know, I think that's really a question to ask women. Okay. Okay, Matthew's looking at me. My, I'm looking at the women in the room. Yeah. So you know, I mean, men get breast cancer, but but I don't know, like I don't know a man who has breast cancer and is offended by the color pink. Yeah, let's get Allison's take on this. So there's a lot of backlash against marketers who make girls' products or women's products pink, right. and I wish right. that they didn't just use pink as the only color. Right? This is right. just wrong. But I do think it works for for breast cancer. And yeah. it's been really nice watching my son and his friends, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, all proudly walking around in bright pink. Mm-hmm. My son's hockey stick is wrapped in pink tape, and they, they wear it with yeah. pride. And it, it means something to them, which I think right. is very cool. So I, I'm, I'm in favor of the pink. Uh, and also something Adam was saying before about uh, just bringing it back, you know, we've been talking a lot in marketing about with social media, there's no, you don't have a, a business self and a personal self. It's just yourself. Right. And so your experience with cancer is just part of who you are, and it makes you just more authentic and more connected to the people who you're writing for, working with, or all of that. And so it's it's so good that it's coming through in the work you're doing. Oh, thank you. Very cool. That's a compliment. Totally. Thank you so much. Cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Adam, this has been great. I, I know I had to sort of pull your ear a little bit to come on the show, but I hope you, you're satisfied and, and um, you know, unstressed in any capacity that you... I'm not stressed, great. and I'm very thankful that you asked me to be on the show. All right. Well, that's awesome. And I look yeah, forward was to, to meeting you when I come out to L.A., right? You're in L.A.? Yeah, we'll do that for sure, and I'll be in New York soon. All right, definitely. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Adam Bear. Uh, again, the website is adambear.com, and you can find him on Twitter at glassshallot.com. At Glass Shallot, three S's, Glass Shallot. And uh, that's awesome. Thank you, my friend. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Allison, my my perspective on on pink coming from the marketing world, but then in the cancer world, is that uh, this phrase, pink washing, which Mm -hmm. is what you had alluded to, which is how corporations just sort of take advantage of unknowing consumers by turning something pink where they're not authentic about how much money they're raising, what percentage they're giving, who they're giving the money to, and just by making a pink toilet, people think they're helping. I don't know that everybody who's making a pink product is consciously pink washing. I think that it's their way of making it kind of good for women. This idea that girls like pink, women like pink. If it's pink, they'll buy it is wrong. I don't know if it 
it, it's holistically, we could say all marketers are making things pink so that it's connected to cancer. But in the cases that you're talking about, where people are just trying to be affiliate, are, are trying to affiliate themselves with the disease and trying to connect themselves in a way that isn't authentic, um, then I agree. Pink, yeah. pink, is, pink isn't good for that, and pink isn't good for this. It's a girl product. Let's make it pink. <laughs> My other issue is companies that are selling items that are super expensive, whether it be like a piece of jewelry, and they'll only donate book cap, like how much they'll donate. Mm-hmm. Companies flush with cash. Like, for example, and I own some of her stuff, but and I never paid attention to this until I actually had breast cancer, but... Um, and, you know, I don't know all the details, and I know she's a very philanthropic person, but uh, Tori Birch made a $100 bracelet, and it was really cute, and I really liked it. And I thought about buying it, but then I saw that she's only donating $10,000 to a breast cancer charity, and that kind of turned me off because I was like, you got a lot of money. But then <laughs> on the flip side, and you're also like, you're Honestly, tar- the best policy. And, and on um, you know she's charging a lot of money for these bracelets. I know that it costs a lot of money to get them in these high end stores and to produce them. But on the flip side, then I also remember that celebrities of that level and designers are asked by like every single nonprofit in the entire world, and there are a bazillion breast cancer nonprofits. They're asked by so many people to donate money that if you donated. To every a significant amount of money to every nonprofit who asked you, you'd be broke. But at the same time, I get it's like if you're going to do it, I think you should do it right. And then again, it's like you hate to criticize for turning away money, but then you don't want someone to be profiting off the disease that you had. But that's where groups like the Breast Cancer Fund, Breast Cancer Action, the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, they're like watchdog groups yeah. out there. Right. And so there's authenticity and transparency. Exactly. And I think both things are really key exactly. in any of these things. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the fact that we are, are a disease agnostic brand. So, you know, our hashtag is like no ribbons, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the, the destigmatization of body part cancer is I think where we're we're headed. Where it's yeah. not about where your cancer is, it's about who you are. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, everyone as Lewis Blackwood joke, everyone's a snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My my last thing I shall say, one of my issues is um when you have all the pink washing and the pink everywhere in October and everyone losing their minds and <laughs> buying, you know, dyeing the hair pink and doing crazy things and raising money and going to the walks and having pom poms and things like that people who had other and this is how just my personal feeling and I've had breast cancer people tend to resent you because of the if other survivors because people make comments like yeah of course you guys get like an entire month and a color and huge attention but then our disease, which is rare, gets no funding from the government or minimal funding from the government. And you're like, well, I didn't choose to get this. It <laughs> right. shows me. So it's, and I understand where they're coming. I can't imagine, I mean, what's frustrating for me is that there's so much, sorry, there's a fly. I was, I was like, <laughs> We're swatting a fly in the air on yeah. the radio. Um, you know, there's so much money going into these this disease, and it's still, like, no closer to finding a cure. So that's the other flip side of the situation, but it's, you know, I feel for these people who are diagnosed with, you know, I had a rare form of breast cancer, so it sucked, but people who have diagnosed with rare types of cancer, period, 
who feel that they're not their types of cancer or unknown or get no attention or funding and the CDC doesn't care and that's not that's not true. It's just, yeah, it's a no-win. And as long as the money keeps flooding, the one thing people have to remember and keep in mind is every time you make a huge step towards curing or targeting treatment for a type of cancer, you're helping other types of cancers too. So when you come up with targeted treatments for lymphomas... It helps brain tumor patients. It It's helping the <laughs> whole movement of cancer because... No, they're, finding out, they're to, finding out medicines that work in different parts of your body. Exactly. Because, like Herceptin works in colon cancer now. Really? Yes, it does. I did not know that. Yes. You learn something new every mm-hmm. day. So... Go figure. It's not yeah. about where your cancer is. It's who you are. Exactly. So That will end all the colors. Ten years from now, no more colors. I God that. willing. Yeah. No, we'll still have cancer, just no colors. <laughs> or like my son will combine all the Play-Doh into one color, like this brown-purple thing, which is disgusting. Yeah. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Combine all the Play-Doh colors into one. Yeah, you see, it's like a giant glob of disgusting. Anyway. Love my son. On that note. <laughs> on that note. On giant love of disgusting, we shall end our show here tonight. Uh, Allison, any uh, any final thoughts? I just wanted to also uh, comment that uh, I did read, and we mentioned this before the show, I read in the air on Ed Age, um, which, again, I'm a huge fan of and I've been reading for 15 years, that Taco Bell is now ending its kids' meals program, which I think is an interesting sign of transparency and trying to give the impression that you know, we want to care about children's health. This is not the healthiest kind of food exactly. But yet they're going to be branding and marketing all the subway stations here in the city. Yes. And I said that I'm a big supporter of corporate America underwriting things like the transit system and other good causes and all right. that kind of stuff. And, yes, of course, they will benefit because they will reach children, and they will probably hand out very tasty samples at different times during the day, so yes. lots of us will benefit. No, Kenny's but waiting for I the Doritos the... Chalupa B-Train, uh, right? I want it in shake form. <laughs> I, I think a lot of uh, funny things will come from it, and so I think I think it's all okay. I think, I think it's okay. No, I'm looking forward to it. I want to see what the, how, how many stations they can sell, how they sort of geotarget different neighborhoods based on demographics and what neighborhoods they're going to get. There will be a lot of debate, a lot of backlash, yes. lots of yes. discussion, but I think I generally think it's a good thing. Well, Manischewitz is in Borough Park, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> hilarious. Exactly. Yes, I think on and Yes, Lachayim. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. I'll just put in one uh, plug since you mentioned colorectal cancer. My sister has just uh, started heading up a foundation called Michael's Mission. Oh, I know, yes. Yes. So uh, I'm glad that you know about it. That's I your wanted, sister? Um, well, yes, my sister is now. Uh, Wait, which one is your sister? Cindy. Cindy's your sister? Yeah. Cindy Barassi is a great friend of mine. No, Cindy Gavin. Cindy Gavin. Oh, Cindy Barassi is the other colon cancer group. <laughs> Cindy, Gav- Cindy Barassi is Colorectal Challenge Foundation. Okay. Cindy Gavin is Michael's mission. Yes. Because she was on Katie, and I was on the show. Yes. yes. Oh, good. I, yeah. Well, so I wanted to just do a little. That's your sister. Oh, my God. We're connected. Totally small memory. world. Totally small world. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It all comes well, full circle. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. No, this is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and all right, so now it is time. Kenny, any final words? Maureen, anything else? Any, anything else? I'm good. You want to go home, have a drink? Is Kenny anything? always wants to go home. Your liquid chalupa and your Bloody Mary. Kenny's not going to wait till he gets home. He's going to get a train beer. Yeah, <laughs> that is your, your your Penn Station train beer. So Andy right. knows me well. That's a go Yes. I see your Instagram. With I know a, what's up. With a straw. With a straw, exactly. All right, folks. Well, that is it. Our show here is our closing sequence. 
prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show, our 274th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. All right, love to thank our guests, Matt Klein, Adam Baer, and the lovely Allison Arden here in studio. And on next week's show, it is our season 12 finale with rock star singer and songwriter Andrew McMahon. Yeah, we'll be cutting away to some live music. Oh, that sounds bad. And his new album just dropped. We'll be playing some, some exclusive tunes. It's going to be a really amazing end Pretty of fun. the season. All right, folks, if you missed any of our past shows, all 274 of them, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.org or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck on behalf of Kenny Kane, Annie Goodman, Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Have a great week. And we'll see you back here next week live at 8 p.m. for our season 12 broadcast finale. Good night, folks. Good night. Good night.